we're going to talk about Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is um, today. It's the seventh Sunday after Easter, and it's a moment where Jesus allowed the disciples to experience what it was like to receive the Holy Spirit in power, not just for the purpose of salvation, the Holy Spirit in power. And that would enable them to be the witnesses that they needed to be about who Jesus is and preach his gospel as a message that had more than just information, but transformation. Not just making them smarter about who God was or informing them better, but transforming the heart much more quickly than just an apologetic a message could do as a way of defending the truth. And so we're going to look over at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 4 through 8. And we're going to pray the Unite 17 prayer at the end of our message today. The title of the message is Pentecost. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. It says, In gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but for wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You've heard from me, verse 5, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, verse 6, they were asking him, Say, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Lord, help us as we study your word. Three things in this passage about which I'd like to speak. One, the idea about what it means to stay. Two, the idea about what it means to wait. And three, the idea about receiving. Here Jesus was speaking to the disciples before his ascension. He's already risen from the dead. He's been with them for approximately 40 days, teaching them, helping them to understand how the scriptures in the Old Testament talked about him and how they needed to interpret that in terms of a new message, what this gospel was like. Jesus came preaching the good news. But the good news now had additions to what Jesus was saying, meaning he had not died when he was preaching the good news. He hadn't risen from the dead when he was preaching the good news. And so the good news now had some additions. Ah, this is what it means. Not only is God wanting to raise the standard, standard of what compliance looks like according to obedience, but there's a transformation that needs to happen in the heart, and it comes as a result of the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And so the disciples had to say, you know, the good news is not only what we've already heard Jesus say, it's this as well. And then how they incorporated that with the Old Testament passages, looking at Isaiah 53 and what it meant to understand that Jesus was bruised for our iniquities, that he was chastised for our peace, and all of the beatings that he took were for us. He took our whooping. He was in our place in terms of consequence. He took our judgment. And as a result, we're free. Free. That's really, really good news. But even if it was just 
about that only, I would be happy. But it was more. It wasn't just that he took our consequences and wiped the slate clean. It was also about giving us new life now. That we could actually live in victory on the planet. That his resurrection power should flow through our lives so that we can now live as he lived while he was here. And we don't have to submit to defeat every day. We don't have to give over to our sinful desires in our flesh. We, we can actually reign over our mortal bodies by the Spirit of God and His Word. Why? Because He who has died, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, is, is freed from sin. And if I have died with Christ, I am no longer a slave to that old master. I don't have to do what it says. I can, I can experience transformation in my life whereby I can say no to sin and yes to God. So I can live well here. Beautiful. So the resurrection power allows us to live well here. His death allows us the, the, the freedom of not having to suffer the consequences of our misdeeds and bypassing what it means to, to experience the second death. Judgment for all of our sins. It is beautiful. And so this 40-day period was the processing of all of that information and more. What a conference. <laughs> what a conference. Now, Jesus would pop in and out. I don't know how he did it. Something about a, a resurrected body that, can, that is no longer bound by, by material things. The atoms that we would normally look at as being solid weren't to him. And he could just bypass walls and doors and come in and out however he wanted. And he met them in Galilee and taught them there. And he stayed with them these 40 days. And here he says his last words for the most part. That in combination with Matthew 28, verse 18, about what it meant to go into all the world. Or Mark 16, verse 15 and 16, 17 as well. Go into all the world. Preach this gospel. He says, now remember, the Father promised you something. But in order to get it the way you need to get it, you need to stay. Not only do you need to stay in a spot, you need to stay together. It says in gathering them together. This was supposed to always be a corporate moment. Now, it doesn't mean that the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which enables us to preach this gospel with power, doesn't mean that it has to be a corporate moment. But Jesus did not want them to experience this individually in their own homes. He said, I want you to stay in Jerusalem, gather together. He says he gathered them together and said, do this together. Stay here together. There was something about the togetherness that allowed them to experience this all at once that made for a memory and a moment. And this is why it's important for us to be together on a regular basis so we can feel the presence of God do stuff on the inside of us together. Oh, it's wonderful when we can do this virtually. I'm grateful for the opportunity in the case that we can't do it physically. I get it. Again, I am not complaining about my manna. I'm going to be really happy about whatever provision God gives me to do his will. But the reality is it's prescribed best differently. We are to be together. And when we are together, more stuff happens while we're together than that which happens individually. Something occurs whereby we have a common experience and we can say together, remember when? 
and then hold one another accountable for what each experienced and each heard and each went through and say, listen, I saw, I remember, I know what God did on the inside of you. I saw that. Listen, God has enabled you now to do stuff you didn't used to do. There's something about being together. And indeed, there were 120 people. It wasn't just the disciples. 120 people gathered. And they were all in an upper room. So that's a big room. I mean, that's, that's like our classroom over here. And, and uh, they, they were all praying and waiting. Now, what happens is this. Jesus says this, and he stays with them 40 days, and these are his final words. But the event wouldn't happen for another 10 so we call this Pentecost Sunday because it, it, it comes in line with the Feast of Pentecost that was in uh, the, the Jewish calendar. So there were three feasts that the Israelites had to come to every year. All the men, God said. One is the Feast of Passover. One is the Feast of Pentecost. And the other is the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Passover was... To remember what God did in delivering the Israelites from the Egyptians during the time of Moses. That they came out with victory without lifting a sword. The Lord did it all by himself. Two million people strong, if not more. Amazing victory. And the the Passover was that if they had killed the lamb the night before their their departure, there there was a plague of death that would come upon the firstborn of all the land. And if, if the, whoever killed the lamb and then put the, the blood of that lamb on the lintels of their door, their threshold, the plague would pass by. And so all the Israelites did that. And nobody in their camp died. But the Egyptians did not believe in God. And they would not do what he said. And so they experienced a different moment. As a result, the Egyptians said, please go from us. Leave us. Don't ever come back to us. And the Israelites went out. And they went out with more stuff than they ever, than they ever thought they would have. They, all they had to do was ask their, their neighbors, could, could we have some provisions because we don't have much on the road? And their neighbors gave them whatever, the, silver and gold, because they thought if we offer to you, we are offering to your God and maybe he will alleviate our pain. And they came out wealthy. Pa- that's, that's Passover. The death passed over. Pentecost happened roughly 50 days later. And that was the feast of ingathering, the, the, the first fruits. This was the first harvest that Israel would bring in. And they were to appear before God thanking him for the bountiful harvest he provided. And then there was the Feast of Booths. And that helped the people of Israel remember that their ancestors wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and they lived in tents, had no homes. And they were to come and, and celebrate that moment, and, and indeed, for seven days, live in tents, uh, and then hear people preach about what God did while the Israelites were in the wilderness during the time of Moses. But the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Passover were 50 days apart. Jesus teaches for 40, and for the last 10, he says to the disciples, stay together and stay in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was probably the last place these people wanted to stay. Remember, Jerusalem was where Jesus died. And Jerusalem is, is the place where they were probably looking for the, for the disciples after they killed Jesus uh, to make sure that they, they quelled this revival, this amazing thing that Jesus was doing. They wanted to stamp it out. And so the disciples were no place to be seen for the most part. They were on the run. 
John was the only one who appeared at the cross. Everybody else, we don't know where they were. There were some women. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, the mother of James. Mary Magdalene, lots of Marys. But we can't find many other disciples. They had flown the coop because they were scared. If they did this to Jesus, they might do it to us. Jesus says, stay in Jerusalem. Uh, can't you do what you want to do in Galilee? I'm just asking that you don't. I'm just asking. No. Why? Because there's a synergy here. Forty days was the time period at which Jesus was teaching. Ten days later, Pentecost would happen in Jerusalem. And there would be every Jew from every nation under heaven coming to participate in this feast. What God was trying to do is use this moment as leverage. Saying, I'm going f- to pour out my Holy Spirit in a way that's going to be fantastic. And it's going to allow the mission that I have of reaching people all over the world to be better accomplished and that people from all over the world are coming here and they don't know they're going to hear you. So wait together here. And I need 120 of you because there's going to be some serious follow-up. Oh, Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 and it was a fabulous message. He was the only one that presented. Probably the best, <clears throat> best message he's ever preached. But those other 119... It says that 3,000 folks got saved. Okay? Well, who's going to follow them up? Those 119 were going around trying to figure out, did you get right? Did you pray the prayer? Did you come to the knowledge of the truth? Did you receive salvation? And those 120 were working. Why? Because there were so many people, and the church was birthed. There's something about God that isn't in a hurry. He's just not in a hurry. He said, stay, and then he said, wait. Impetuous Peter probably represents the sentiment of many of the other disciples. Peter would always be the first one to get out and do something and then say, was that right? Did I say it right? Did I do it? Lord, bid me come out on the water that you're walking on. Uh, I changed my mind now that I'm out here. These waves are really too big. I, please, just bring me back in now. He would always just kind of ready, fire, aim in his strategy. And I imagine once he realized Jesus had risen from the dead and that Jesus had forgiven him for his denials and that it, Jesus had restored him and then, and, and, and then there was a moment whereby he realized this is my calling, this is what I'm supposed to do. He probably wanted to go and start preaching, telling everybody he knew. But Jesus said, wait, 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 wait. Don't hurry to do this because you need to be equipped well. Now, I don't believe, there are a bunch of people who believe with respect to the baptism in the Holy Spirit because that's what Jesus speaks of here and we'll get to it. There are a bunch of people who believe that you must tarry because Jesus said, wait for the power from on high. That you must tarry a long time before he decides to independently uh, to, to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, meaning the Father and the Son. They decide. I don't think that can be interpreted from this context. Jesus was just saying, stay here and wait. Because there's a moment where I'm going to do it on a certain day that coincides with, a, with, with a, an amazing exponential growth opportunity. So wait for it here. But I don't think that is a prescription for all time that we have to wait. If you want the Holy Spirit, I, I rely more on the passage in, in Luke chapter 11. Verses 11 through 13. He said, if any of your fathers, though they be evil, if, if your fathers find that your son asks for a fish, will he give him a stone? 
If he asks for bread, will he give him a scorpion? How much more then, your Father in heaven, who's great and good, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So I'm just convinced if you ask, he's going to give them to you. That's the way I got it. That's the way I got it. Now, this dispensation, this pouring out, this dispensing of the Holy Spirit is different than the born-again experience. The born-again experience for the disciples happened in John chapter 20, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to the disciples. In John chapter 20, verse 19, they were scared to death. They didn't know what was going to happen to him. Jesus just showed up in the room, and he said, peace, be still. My version of chill out. Why? Because they had, for the first time in their life, they had seen somebody who was dead, and now he's alive. They didn't know what to do. They thought it was a ghost. He said, no, it's me. He said, see my hands? All that. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. At that moment, those disciples in that room were born again. That was what we know to be true as the regenerative process that takes a soul that was messed up and makes it right. Takes somebody from death to life. Jesus used the imagery that, is, that was once used in the beginning with Adam and with God. When God made Adam, made him from the dust of the earth, it says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Why did Jesus breathe on the disciples except to repeat the kind of imagery that was done in the creation? Because Jesus was now recreating. He was making people all new again. This is why he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again if you want to come into the kingdom. You got to start all over. Jesus was beginning again. And these disciples became new. They were regenerate in a minute. But here we have this second dispensing of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, you got to wait for it. So I imagine the disciples said, well, what was that back there? Well, I'm convinced that God did these two things separately in order to convey two ideas that should not be spliced together with respect to a dogmatic theology. One is this. That the born-again experience and the baptism in the Holy Spirit don't have to happen at the same time in order for you to get right. There are some people who believe you are not even born again unless you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, I think Jesus answers that question with both of these things here. Now, can they happen at the same time? Yes. Do they have to happen at the same time in order for somebody to be right? It seems anecdotally and theologically with respect to these passages and the process through which Jesus went in 40 days in teaching, first day, born again, 50th day, dispensing to the Holy Spirit for power, that they can happen at different times. I've seen them happen at the same time. That's great. But it doesn't mean that simply because it happens at the same time that it has to happen that way for somebody. God can do whatever he wants. He can do how he wants to do you however he wants. But here we see two different experiences with the Holy Spirit. And so the first, he says, stay. Second, he says, wait. He says, wait for what the Father has promised. This is a promise for you. It's not just an idea that's an option if you want it. Though, from your perspective, it can be. shouldn't be. You should really desire it. But it's a promise from God. He's not going to renege on this. This is something he wants to give us. You've heard about, he said, Jesus did, the promise of the Father. And he said, you've heard it from me. So Jesus was the confirmer of what the Father had promised. Though he is not here now, I happen to be his stead. I'm not a very good one, 
But in place of him, I am saying to you, the Father is promising you the power of the Holy Spirit to change your life for the good. And it's not just about changing your life personally, though it will. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is different than, than the baptism you receive in water. John, John even knew this. He said, I baptize with water, but he who's coming after me, fire. He comes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, something happens. Whereby stuff gets burned up on the inside of you. Things that need to get incinerated do. Ill motives, wrong desires, selfishness, resentment gets burned up. The Holy Spirit will not tolerate that in our lives. And so we experience a cleansing when he comes. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is that which allows you the privilege of of advancing quicker in your life. Yes, personally. But the primary purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is about ministering to others. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, when, he's, when you, and, and let me say the word baptism is, is different than the idea about being born again. The idea about being born again is receiving something on the inside. It's receiving the Holy Spirit and letting him live in your heart. The idea about the baptism in the Holy Spirit is literally you being immersed in him. Two different concepts. Again, they can happen at the same time. They don't have to be indistinguishable. But he distinguishes them so people know they don't have to happen at the same time. He immerses us in his power. And Jesus said, when the baptism of the Holy, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you like this, you will receive power. Power. It's so that we can receive power to do something we couldn't do otherwise. Listen, I'm not a very good witness of who Jesus is on my own. I'm not. I'm, 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 I'm fearful. I don't want to talk to people I don't know. I find myself leaning on the arm of the flesh too often, not being happy about folks that don't want to receive what he has to say, and restraining myself. There are a lot of things that all of us have to go through with respect to representing Christ well to other people. And I am you. I am every man. I find myself in a position of fear when I go on the mission field or when I'm talking to somebody in Costco. I have to overcome the the discomfort on a regular basis of saying, okay, here we go. Here we go, here we go, Holy Spirit, I'm trusting you. Doesn't feel good, doesn't feel comfortable, but I know I need to do this. I'm you, I get it. But when I submit to him, I feel his empowerment. I feel the grace to be able to take it to another level, not just to exercise my eloquence, not just to figure out how to untie the knots in somebody's brain, because I've been here before and there are very few conversations that I don't know where they're going to lead when they start. I know just about everybody's opposition, their reason as to why they don't want to serve God, whether it's me, whether it's the church, whether it's church hurt, whether they don't believe he exists, whether something happened in their family that they don't understand and they blame God for. There's not an argument I haven't heard. But that is not the basis of my trust. Holy Spirit, what are you doing here? And it's amazing how the power begins to flow. I receive power. Sometimes God will give me a word about what they're going through. Word of knowledge. He'll just speak to me about that. He'll, he'll let me begin to talk about circumstances about which I don't know have any relevance to them. And all of a sudden, you know, how did you know to talk about that? Power. And it has nothing to do with Brett. It has everything to do with Brett yielding himself. That's it. Just giving up and saying, Holy Spirit, move through me. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. A witness. Now, a witness... 
is somebody who can verify what they saw with what they say. I know this to be true. And we can best verify who Jesus is by living, not just talking, by living and talking about who he is. But there's also a credibility that comes to us after we have, have accepted the responsibility of being his witness. You will be my witnesses, meaning you'll be able to say who I am to others and they will believe you because I'm backing you. I'm making you credible. It's not just that you're smart and are able to say things because I am empowering you to, to, to perform supernatural stuff that you can actually utilize the 12 gifts that are found in the book of 1 Corinthians and those accompaniments that we see in Mark chapter 16 that he who believes in my name, they will speak with new tongues. They will cast out devils. They will pick up deadly serpents and it will not hurt them. They'll drink deadly poison and it will not hurt them. They'll trample upon serpents and scorpions. Those things are accompaniments to the gospel along with the power that exists in, in Corinthians chapter 12. And when we do that, it now evidences, hey, those fellows really are with God. God's backing them up. I witness what's happening whereby God's backing them because that can't happen any other way. Wow, that's amazing. Credibility comes to you when you yield yourself to God and let him immerse you in himself. And not only credibility, but mission as I close. So when we receive, we get power, we get credibility and mission. You receive this power, you'll be my witnesses to the remotest parts of the earth. To Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and as far as the earth goes, you get to be my witnesses. Mission comes to us. Purpose comes to us. Now I realize most of you are not called to do what I do. I get it. I really do. And I'm glad you're called to do what you do because not everybody should do what I do. But all of us ought to feel a sense of responsibility to witness about who Jesus is wherever we go whenever a door is open to make that happen. I'm not talking about some kind of weird presentation whereby you were forcing your way in your occupation and now you're going to make sure that everybody understands who Jesus is on Monday morning by bringing your Bible is and, 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 and throwing it on the, on the counter and saying we're all going to do Bible study before we begin this day we're going to pray. Don't, don't do that. That's just strange. That's just weird. And if your employer fires you, eh, mm, I can see why. Oh, I'll stand up and say, yes, they're a good Christian, but... They shouldn't have done that. That's not proper. That's not why they are paying you. And so what you do is you look for opportunities outside of your regular employment while you are employed to make sure that your witness can be seen by others. And believe me, there are a bunch. People come to work with problems all the time. They're trying to figure out how in the world to write their kids. Their marriage is going bad. Their health isn't well. Their mom is hurting in the hospital. Oh, those are those are, that's T-ball. Those are door through jumpers. You don't just walk through. You jump through that. How can I pray for you? And then all of a sudden, as you pray for them, the Holy Spirit falls. And then you begin to sense things about what they're going through and who they are. And, and, and within 30 seconds, they've experienced a supernatural moment, and they don't know how. And they are thinking about you being the witness of Christ all day. They're waking up with thoughts about you. They go to bed with thoughts about you. Who? Who is that person and how did they get like that? Why? Because you're on mission. 
You've got a responsibility, wherever you are, to be the witness of Christ with power. And this is what the disciples had to wait for. And so I want to encourage you that your waiting cannot be and will not be in vain. The Holy Spirit will meet you. If you'll just ask him, Lord, fill me with your power. Baptize me in your Holy Spirit. The Lord will come and fill you. He'll do it. And if you want some more Bible study on this, our pastors can help you. They can sit down and do some studies that will assist you in the process of learning what this means even more. But this morning, I'm just trying to make it available to you on Pentecost Sunday. We can experience what the disciples did. It can be ours. And my hope is that if we do, we'll have the same results. Pray with me, church. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness and grace. I ask that you would help us as a people to receive all that you desire from your presence and not leave anything out. So those who wish to experience what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, as Jesus said, Lord, I pray that you would enable them to have that moment. If there is anybody this morning who has yet to give their heart to Christ. Maybe you've made a decision in the past, but your life doesn't look anything like what a believer's ought to be, and you really want to make a change today. If you fit in that category, either of those categories, I want you to pray with me. If that's you, just go ahead and acknowledge by, you know, a raise of your hand or something, just something, and then pray with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me. I am sorry for the way I've lived. I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin and to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, in the chat box at the bottom, there's a little, little box you can check. Click that. And it says, I raised my hand. It, when, you, when you click, I raised my hand, another box will come up, and it will say, connect with someone. And somebody, if you click that one, somebody will contact you. If you don't want to do it like that, you can always text New Life to, G, to 25827. New Life to 25827, and somebody will contact you. And the reason we do this is we just want to help you. We want to help you live out the commitment you made and nobody's intended to live this life on their own nobody if you need prayer just generally you can go to the very top and you can say prayer there's a prayer box at the chat box go ahead and click that and the pastor will get in contact with you about your prayer needs church love you think the best of you the world of you